Thank you. Our sound guys are on top of it. So as I was saying to our guests, thank you for being here. Um, I'm one of the pastors at Trinity, and this morning I have the opportunity to, to preach the Word of God. And uh, Tim Merwin is our lead pastor. He and his wife, Kim, are celebrating, I think it's 30 years of marriage today. <laughs> so they are celebrating it in somewhere in England. Um, I believe they're going to uh, York, uh, or they went to a, a, a Sunday service at York. And so um, grateful that they're able to get away on their 30-year anniversary And so to our guests, I just want to invite you to come back and uh, want to encourage you to hear our lead pastor preach. We're glad that you're here. We're grateful that you would choose Trinity to worship the Lord. But I also just want to take a moment um, to just pray for our youth that will be attending the Worldview summer camp. We'll be leaving early Sunday morning. And we'll be gone through Friday of next week. So if you are going, I would like to just call you up here. I know not all of you are here. So if you're going to the Worldview Academy summer camp, I want to just ask you to come up here. So Claire, come on up. Mason and Jackson and Johnny and Tim. I'm not sure. Is Tanner here? Okay. Um, There he is. Judah. Is Judah serving? Okay, very good. So these are five out of the nine that will be going to the summer camp this this coming week. Um, Parents, if you would, please come. If Tim, would you come and and lay hands on Tanner? I don't know if Tyler and Maddie are in the room, but um, parents would love for you to just come and lay hands on your child Um, as we pray for them. Oh, good. Church, you know who they are, what they look like. Please pray for four others that'll be here, uh, that'll be going, and then uh, let's continue to pray for them while we are away. Father, I just thank you for these young individuals. I thank you that you have placed a call on their lives, that they are following hard after you. Going to a Worldview Summer camp, it's not a walk in the park. They'll be learning so much. There'll be so many academic instruction and very little free time for them. And so this is a time of equipping and preparing. And I do pray that as we draw away from all that is normal, and all that is usual, and all that is familiar, and we draw closer to you, that you would meet us, that you would meet each and every student and each and every faculty member who will be teaching, that you would, in a way, just in, in a mighty power through the Holy Spirit, teach them your word. We pray that you would just bring fruitful conversations, that you would produce fruit in their lives as a result of this summer camp. We pray that you would bring them back home safely. We do pray for safe travels there and back, 
that we pray that you would bring them safely back to their respective families and their homes. But we pray that you would bring them back transformed to be more like Jesus. That you would bring them back full of faith and confidence to be a spokesperson of Jesus Christ as ambassadors of the gospel. That in the display of their lives, people would see Christ and would feel the need of Christ in their lives. I thank you for these individuals. Thank you that you have provided for them. We pray that you would bless them. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Just so you know, I'm not going to count that towards my preaching time. Okay, so reset my clock. Wisdom that produces a harvest of righteousness. That is the title for this sermon. So in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, we see that James is circling back to the topic of wisdom. Do you remember in chapter 1, James says that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. And so we need wisdom when we encounter various trials. We need wisdom to remain steadfast when we are in the midst of trials. We need wisdom from God to know what a pure and undefiled religion is to look like. In chapter 2, we need wisdom from God so that we know not to show partiality towards one or the other. In chapter 2, we need the wisdom of God to know that our true faith must be accompanied by good works. In chapter 3, we need the wisdom of God to know how powerful our tongue is. In chapter 4, we need the wisdom of God to avoid fights and quarrels. In chapter 3, our text this morning, we need the wisdom of God to avoid disunity and disorder in the church. Let's dive into the sermon. The battle of Blue Licks, Kentucky was one of the last battles that was fought during the American Revolutionary War. It was an unfortunate battle because it happened after peace was declared between both sides. The battle of Blue Licks, Kentucky occurred 10 months after Lord Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown. 10 months after peace was declared on both sides. How unfortunate. And so it is with the church today. 
After Satan was defeated at the cross by, by the atoning death of Jesus Christ, his life, his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice and his death on the cross, his resurrection brought peace between a holy God and sinful man. And Jesus reconciled sinful man to holy God while he also reconciled sinful man to each other. And because we have been reconciled not only to God the Father, that we have been reconciled to each other, we ought to have peace with each other. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. After Peace has already been declared by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are still unfortunate battles being waged today in the church. Oh, church, this is why we need the wisdom of God Here's the main burden of this sermon. We need wisdom from God to avoid disorder or disunity in the church. And we need the wisdom of God for righteousness so that we can reap a harvest of righteousness in the church. After Jesus earned the peace for us with God the Father. He also earned the peace for us with each other. The Bible says that Jesus reconciled us to God in one body through the cross and that he himself is our peace. As I said earlier, unfortunately, there are still battles being waged in the church because there is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Paul says in Romans 7 that there is a battle being waged from within the individual. In Titus chapter 3, Paul says there are foolish controversies strife and disputes within the church, not to mention the troubled church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. In James 4, we find that the Jewish Christians were quarreling and fighting among themselves. Church, this is why we need the wisdom of God that produces peace in the church. And this is why we need the wisdom of God to, that produces righteousness in the church. Here's point number one. Earthly wisdom produces disorder in the church. That's verses 13 through 16. Look with me at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I thank God that as Christians, he has saved us 
and that we don't live in isolation from each other. God has called us, God has saved us, and God has placed us in a community together. Unfortunately, even though we are no longer slaves to sin, sin still remains. As Christians, we still have to live in this fallen world, and the good news of the kingdom of God is that he is seeking to redeem this fallen world. Meanwhile, as Christians, we need the wisdom and understanding from God to live a peaceable life. So how do we get this wisdom? A simple answer is to ask God. But having wisdom isn't enough. James says we need understanding also. History and experience tells us that wise people or people that are knowledgeable are not always wise, are they? As Christians, we need both wisdom and understanding. The good news is we can have both. And all we have to do is ask God for them. James must have spent his summers in the state of Missouri. Why would I say that? What is it? (laughs) Missouri is the show me state. He says, "If, if you are wise and understanding, then show it by your good conduct or your good life. You see, wisdom for James isn't merely intellectual. It's also behavioral. To put it in another way, the kind of behavior that you have reflects the kind of wisdom and understanding that you have. So what does James mean when he says, show it by the good life or good conduct? Well, he's referring to noble and praiseworthy behavior. He's referring to a commendable or admirable manner of life. Isn't it true of the saying, actions speak louder than words? James is saying that if a person has true wisdom and understanding from God, then it will show by his noble and praiseworthy behavior. Note that this noble and praiseworthy behavior is characterized by meekness or humility of God's wisdom. Turn over a few pages to the left in your Bibles I'm sorry, Um, well, yeah, to the left, and go to Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. 
Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, the question that God is asking us out of James chapter 3, verse 13 is, are you wise and understanding? If so, display that. Show that in the way you live your lives. If your answer is yes, then how is that wisdom, that understanding characterized by your manner of life? If your answer is yes, and you're not showing it in a way that is commendable or admirable, then you probably need to spend some time doing some self-examination. What manners of behaviors do you have that is not in line with the gospel, that is not consistent with the gospel, that is not in accordance with the gospel? Or what areas do you need to grow in so that your life before God is commendable and admirable? To others around you. The point of verse 13 is this if you are wise and understanding, then show it by how you live your life in the meekness or the gentleness of wisdom or in the humility of wisdom. James says this in verse 14 but if you have jealousy or bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth notice the word or the adversative word but in verse 14 we see the word but twice in our text this morning once in verse 14 and the next one is in verse 17 The opposite of having a humble spirit or a gentle spirit or a spirit of meekness is having a heart filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. If you are harboring bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, James is saying then don't go around telling people about it. Don't contradict the truth. This is something that should not be broadcasted in the church. 
We can see James's concern here for a heart filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition because that, the results of that is disorder in the church. So what do you do if you are harboring bitter jealousy? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 31, to simply put it away. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 31 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Do you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? The Word of God instructs us to put it away. The Word of God instructs us to repent and ask God for forgiveness. The Word of God also says you, if you are a true believer, you already have the forgiveness, so receive it and don't dwell in it. The wisdom that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition comes from where it comes from, does not come from God. Look with me at verses 15 through 16. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The heart that harbors and nurtures bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is devoid of God's wisdom. This wisdom is not heavenly, but earthly. This wisdom is not from God, but from Satan himself. So beware, church. Be warned. I believe this is why faith and prayer is so important in the life of the church. Without faith and prayer, we can never obtain true wisdom or heavenly wisdom. You know what boggles my mind about me and us is that when we lack wisdom in the midst of trials, we don't ask God for it. It's not that God the Father is reluctant to give us the wisdom that we need in the midst of trials and sufferings. No, he is a father who delights to grant us wisdom and the word says in James 1 that he gives it to us abundantly and generously without criticism, without criticizing us for asking for wisdom. Amazing. James says that for where we have jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Earthly wisdom produces disorder and every vile practice in the church, in the house of God, in the house of saints, in the redeemed. If that is 
true, church, and it is true, then it is also true for our homes, isn't it? It's also true in our schools. It's also true where we shop. It's also true where we work. We can look at verse 16 in this way. Notice the correlation that James has in his argument. Notice this. Where there is jealousy, there is this order. Where there is selfish ambition, there is every vile practice. For definition's sake, let's look at the word jealousy, for example. So what is jealousy? Some translations use the word envy for jealousy. According to the Baker's Dictionary of Christian Ethics, envy is the resentful and even hateful dislike of the good fortune or blessing of another. Do you have envy in your hearts today towards another? If you do, I want you to hear the effects of envy. Envy destroys mutual confidence that we have in each other. Envy destroys the unity in the church because we have all been reconciled into one body by Jesus Christ. Now we have this unity that we enjoy in this diversity of our congregation. The church grows and matures in the climate of unity even in the midst of diversity. The church grows and matures in the climate of unity, even in the midst of adversity. Envy destroys unity. It brings disorder in the church. Envy is devilish by design and origin. Where there is envy, there is disorder in the church. And to bring this order to the church is to bring instability. It is to bring disturbances. It is to bring confusion in the body of Christ. James says that where there is selfish ambition in the church, there will also be every vile practice. What is selfish ambition? For those of you who like to read, I want to just commend a book to you. It's called Rescuing Ambition by Dave Harvey. I haven't read it in a while, but it's worth reading. If you want to discern what type of ambition that you have, is it a selfish ambition or is it a godly ambition? And we're going to parse the difference between the two. So what is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is any ambition that overshadows the love for God and the love for neighbor. That's selfish ambition. It puts self first and 
God and others last. Because of its evil motives, it will lead to every vile practice in the church. The good news of the gospel is that after we have been redeemed, we, our selfish ambitions can be redeemed into godly ambitions. And so what does having a godly ambition look like? Well, it's any ambition that seeks to glorify God and, and benefit others around you. How can you tell if your ambition is godly? Ask yourself the question. Is what I want to do going to bring glory and honor to God? Is what I want to do going to be a blessing and not a hindrance to others around me? Earthly wisdom is not true wisdom at all because it lacks heavenly wisdom from God. Church, we must not harbor or even allow bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in ourselves because once, once we do, our church will, will soon experience instability. Our church will be filled with tension and animosity. Our, truth, our church will lose credibility of our gospel witness to our community and of Jesus Christ. These two things will weaken our gospel mission. These two things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, will cause everyone around us to be uneasy with each other. They will diminish the effectiveness of our witness of the gospel. And so it goes the same for our homes. Fathers and mothers and children will experience anarchy, disorder and strife ensues, peace can no longer be enjoyed, harmony is destroyed, unity is demolished. Church, do you lack wisdom and understanding? If so, ask God. Are you harboring bitter jealousy and selfish ambition if so, ask God for forgiveness. Again, repent. Reject the earthly wisdom that produces disorder. Earthly wisdom produces disorder in the church. That's verses 13 through 16. Now, James tells us about heavenly wisdom that produces peace in the church. That's verse 17, point number two. Look with me at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The second adversative word, but, introduces a contrasting wisdom from earthly wisdom. This Contrasting wisdom is said to be heavenly in its origin. It's said to be heavenly wisdom, and it came from above. 
Earthly wisdom comes from below. Earthly wisdom comes from around us. Heavenly wisdom comes from above. The location of this heavenly wisdom from which it comes is heaven, and the source of this heavenly wisdom is God the Father himself. The effects of this heavenly wisdom are peace and righteousness in the church. The effects of this wisdom are peace and righteousness in the home. Note the first characteristic of this heavenly wisdom. James says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Is if this wisdom that comes from above is godly wisdom, so then therefore it should contain characteristics of God himself. What does pure mean? It means clean immaculate, undefiled, innocent, sacred, perfect, which sounds like Jesus Christ, which is how John describes Jesus in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. He says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him, Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure, just as Jesus is pure. To say that Jesus is pure is to say that he is holy. A church riddled with with jealousy and selfish ambition is a church that needs Jesus' holiness. A church that is stable, has order, and has unity, has Jesus in it. A church that quarrels and fights has replaced Jesus with self. It is as if to say, in order to have peace and order in our church, we must have wisdom that comes from above in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, and by his spirit, he is sanctifying us by the washing of water by the word. He's washing us by the water of the word so that, so that, here's the purpose statement. He's washing us by the water of the word so that he can present us to himself in all glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we might be holy and blameless. Church, this is the effect of godly wisdom. The wisdom of God is the very thing that can wash away bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Next, James says that the wisdom of God is peaceable. The very thing that a church that is in turmoil, what they need is Jesus Christ who is peace. 
when we find ourselves breaking peace with other believers in the church because of jealousy and selfish ambition, the very thing that we need is Jesus, who is our peace. Turn over a few more pages to the left, if you're still in Philippians, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Church, I want you to see this out of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, just to the left, a few more pages. We're looking at verses 13 through 17. The point that I want to make is the wisdom of God from heaven that we need in order to have a peaceable life and in order to have peace in the church is Jesus Christ himself who is our peace. You ready? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Because Jesus has brought us near and has brought peace to us between God and the Father we ought to have peace with each other. Jesus, the Son of God, who dwelt in the glories of heaven, became man and became our peace. Jesus himself is the wisdom of God from heaven. He made all of us in the diversity of our ethnicity Ethnicity, one. And he has broken down by his flesh the dividing walls of hostility. How did he bring all of us sinners together? By his blood. Did you see that in Ephesians? Through what means did he break down the walls of hostility? Through the cross. What message did he preach when he came to save sinful man? The message of peace. How are we to live our lives together as a body of believers at Trinity Community Church or at 7250 Freeport Road, Port St. John, Florida? In peace. The wisdom of God 
also brings gentleness. Being gentle towards one another means to be, to be thoughtful and be respectful of others' opinions and ideas. It's having this spirit of gentleness and meekness and humility that is, being willing, that is willing to be persuaded by other thoughts and ideas. The wisdom of God helps us to be gentle, which preserves unity and peace in the church and in our homes. The wisdom of God is open to reason. It rejects the thought of, I know everything, therefore I'm not going to listen to you. The wisdom of God is full of mercy. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Looks Luke 6.36 says this, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. How do we show mercy to each other? We show mercy to each other by extending forgiveness to those who need our forgiveness. We are to forgive each other like this. We are to forgive one another just as Christ or God in Christ forgave us. Amen. Amen. The wisdom of God produces good fruits in us. In, In the early church, the Christians would clothe the naked and cover the cold and provide food for the hungry and provide shelter to those in need of shelter. Today, we are to do no different. We are to show good fruits in our word, in our actions, in our deeds. The wisdom of God leads to impartiality and sincerity. The wisdom of God, if we pursue the wisdom of God, keeps us from showing partiality towards the poor or the rich, the widow or the married or the divorced or the single or the one that is poorly dressed or the one that may not be so well put together right now. When we show or don't show impartiality, it cultivates unity and love and peace in the church of God. The wisdom of God compels us to minister to the marginalized, the outcast, the unlovable, the wisdom of God frees us from judging each other, which avoids disorder and promotes unity. The wisdom of God helps us to assume the best and give charitable judgment towards one another. This promotes peace in the church. 
The wisdom of God is sincere. It has no deceit in it, unlike earthly wisdom. The wisdom of God is sincere in that it has no hypocrisy in it because its motives are to always glorify God and to love one's neighbor. It always seeks the welfare of others instead of always self. The wisdoms, the two wisdoms presented in our text has its corresponding effects on the church. Earthly wisdom produces disorder or disunity in the church. That was verses 13 through 16. Heavenly wisdom produces peace in the church. Verse 17, here's my third and last point. Heavenly wisdom produces righteousness in the church. Verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. At first glance of verse 18, we might read this and, and find it to mean peacemakers who sow peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Is that how your reading is of your translation? Let me repeat that. At first glance, verse 18 might sound like peacemakers who sow peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. That is not what James is saying here. What he's saying is this, righteousness sown in the climate of peace will yield a harvest of righteousness. Do you see the difference? This is why we need to meditate on God's word. This is why we need to study it carefully. Because if we just breeze through it, we're going to miss what God has for us in his word. So what he's saying is, if you sow righteousness in the climate of peace, then church, you will reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the wisdom of God, church. What's the implication for us then as a church? The implication is that righteousness cannot be produced in the climate of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. In the Bible, the word righteousness in verse 18 is used in a broad sense. It's used to mean virtue. It's used to mean integrity. It's used to mean purity of life. It is used to mean rightness. It's used to mean the correct way of thinking and feeling and acting. And so what's the application for us this morning in verse 18? If we sow virtue in the climate of peace, then we can expect to reap a harvest of virtue. You follow me? If we sow integrity in the climate of peace, then we, Trinity Church, can expect to reap a harvest of integrity within the body of Christ. 
If we sow a purity of life in the, in the climate of peace, then we can expect as a body of believers to reap a harvest of purity of life. If we sow a rightness in a climate of peace, then we can expect to reap a harvest of rightness in the manner of life. If we sow the correct way of thinking and feeling and acting in the climate of peace, then we can expect to reap a harvest of right thinking, right acting, and right feeling in the church and in our homes. In conclusion, church, if we sow a righteousness, if we sow a righteousness in the climate of peace, then we can expect to reap a harvest of righteousness, church. This is the wisdom of God to produce righteousness in the church. Worship team, will you please join me here on the platform I trust you have a response song. We must respond in worship and song, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that addresses us right here where we are in our hearts We are all prone to having bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions. We thank you that your word instructs us the effects of those two things, not only in our church, but also in our homes and our families. But we thank you that you have redeemed bitter jealousy. We thank you that you have redeemed our selfish ambition into godly ambition. So, Father, I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would transform, that you would sanctify and purify your church by the wisdom of heaven. That we would continue to enjoy peace and unity in the church. That peace and unity and harmony would be preserved in our homes, but that peace and harmony and unity would be restored in homes.